You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. But, but the Gospels give us, six. four Gospels give us six versions of this story of resource sharing so that there was enough for everyone, even with leftovers. And that speaks to me of how central resource sharing was to the early Jesus movement. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 381. Our title this week is Enough for Everyone, and our reading is from the Gospel of John. This is John 6, uh, 1 through 20. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and when Jesus had not yet joined them, a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So, so among the canonical Gospels, there are six versions of this story, the feeding of the multitude. Five are in the synoptics originating in uh, uh, Mark's version, Mark 6. Mark 8, uh, Mark 14, or Matthew 14, sorry, Matthew 15, and Luke 9. And, and, and those are all based on Mark's version of the story. But the sixth version is found here in John. And most Jesus scholars see evidence that, again, Matthew and Luke's versions were copied from Mark's telling of this story, but that John's version is quite different than Mark's. It, that, that's led some scholars to believe that both versions may have had a, a common ancestor, a version that existed 
in in the early oral tradition of of the Jesus community. And we still don't know today for sure, but it's clear that each version of the Jesus story, it contains the story, and this is important, this story of Jesus's community sharing resources and there being enough for for everyone. So this is this is very telling. Very few things that Christians have deemed greatly important uh, appear in all four of the Gospels. Even the virgin birth only shows up really in one Gospel. It's implied in both Matthew and Luke. But Mark and John, on the other hand, they, they, they thought that Jesus' followers didn't even need to know about the virgin birth and their, their telling of the Jesus story. But, but the Gospels give us six, four Gospels give us six versions of this story of resource sharing so that there was enough for everyone, even with leftovers. And that speaks to me of how central resource sharing was to the early Jesus movement, rooted in the, the economics of the Hebrew manna story, where those who, who gathered much shared with those who didn't have as much. That's in Exodus 16. This ethic of, of resource sharing was recorded as even the first act that that Jesus followers took after Pentecost in in Acts 2 41 through 47 it says those who accepted his message were baptized about 3000 were added to their number that day they devoted themselves to the apostles teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Uh, we read of this ethic a second time in the book of Acts in chapter 4, and 4 verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, uh, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So this social consciousness it appears to be part of the fabric of what it meant to follow Jesus early on. We find a different spin on this story in the Gospel of John. John takes this story with its emphasis on a, a young person who, who chose to share what he had and whose resources Jesus blessed to become enough for everyone in the community. And the author of John then transforms it into a story of that, that emphasizes Jesus doing miracle work instead, rather than the story being a story about people sharing what they have with one another, the author of John evolves it into a story that's much more about the supernatural power of Jesus. So consider this phrase in John's version of the story. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and take him by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So John's version becomes kind of a prophetic warning even against what we, looking back after the fact, what we see has become of the Jesus community 
and the imperial powers of the state that has sought to co-opt the Christian religion in repeated generations and in repeated expressions. I think of how Christianity has been used even by the Christian right here in the U.S. to gain power and, and to push racist and classist and sexist and cis-heterosexist political policies in our own era. I'm disgusted each time I think of how flags were carried by white Christians alongside their Trump flags as they violently stormed the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th, all because of a lie that somehow an election process that, that also installed Republicans in various elected positions on the same ballots was mysteriously stolen. As Miguel de la Torre uh, writes in his recent book, The Decolonizing of Christianity, on page 15, uh, he writes, we focus on the Trump presidency because probably no other presidency has wrapped himself so... No other president, sorry, has wrapped himself so fervently in both the flag and the cross, merging the two with himself and the Republican Party. So since his life and death, Jesus has repeatedly been taken, so to speak, like in our story, and used by those who wish to have the power of a king. Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas writes, uh, this is from her book, uh, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, page 72 through 73. She writes, unjust social relationality is not effectively sustained solely, if at all, through the use of brutal force. And she's stresses that power, particularly inequitable power, is not coercive or even repressive. Rather, it's productive. Power's productive character begins with the will to knowledge. That is, power itself generates the kind of knowledge, and this is like disinformation, that it needs to be sustained. It enlists various communities of authority, such as the scientific and the religious communities, to provide the knowledge base to legitimize the social, political, and institutional constructs of power itself. And again, that's Kelly Brown Douglas, Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, page 70. Through 73. Various expressions of Christianity have likewise been historically complicit in seizing power. Powerful Christians have cooperated repeatedly with harmful social and political structures that are rooted in distinctions of, of race or ethnicity, gender, class, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, and more. In using Jesus to gain political power, both Christians and even non-Christians, what they're doing is they're rejecting the Jesus of this story this week, who himself rejected any attempt to seize power through him and, and isolated himself so that he couldn't be found and used that way. Ched Myers rightly uh, writes in his book, Binding the Strongman, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. This is page 10. The truth is the battle of the Bible, and he means the, the battle over how one interprets the Bible. The battle of the Bible today has increasingly less to do with theological divisions and allegiances and more to do with political 
political and economic allegiances. So Senator and Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, he similarly stated uh, last year, speaking last year at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Warnock said, you're not following God when you allow your profit motive, and P-R-O-F-I-T, to silence your profit motive, P-R-O-F-I-T. P-H-E-T. And that profit motive can be about money, but it can also be about money and political power. As Jesus followers, we have to allow ourselves to be confronted by how we could be allowing or even participating in people taking the Jesus of these stories and using him today instead of using the stories to support or or bring liberation to those our society has deemed uh, the least of these. Using Jesus to gain power that eventually ends up hurting others. Heart Group application this week. I want you to share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what would a Christianity whose emphasis is about resource sharing in our world look like for you? What harmful fruit have you witnessed from Christianity's political power grab in our society? And discuss that with with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week? Big or small to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Remember, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.